0: Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio. You're listening to Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio with your reader Anna Mercer. Our book is Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve. Chapter 30 a hero's welcome. The clouds that had shed their snow on Batmont Gomper blew west to fall as yet more rain on London, and it was raining still when the 13th floor elevator reached home early the following afternoon. No crowds were waiting to welcome it. The sodden lawns of Circle Park were deserted, except for some workers from the recycling department who were cutting down the last of the trees. But the Guild of Engineers had been warned of Valentine's return, and as the great airship came nosing down into the wet flare of the landing beacons, they ran out onto the apron, with the rain beating on their bold heads and the light making splashy reflections on their coats. Catherine watched from her bedroom window as the ground crew winched the airship down and the excited engineers clustered closer. Now hatches were opening in the gondola, now Magnus Kroom was growing, going forward with the servant holding a white rubber umbrella over him, and now... Now father was coming down the gangplank, easy to recognise even at this distance by his height and his confident stride and the way his all-weather cape filled and flapped in the rising breeze. The sight of him gave Catherine a twisting feeling deep inside, as if her heart really was about to burst with grief and anger. She remembered how much she had been looking forward to being the first to greet him when he stepped back aboard the city. Now she was not sure that she could even bring herself to speak to him. Through the wet glass she saw him talk to Croom, nodding, laughing. A surge of white coats hid him from her for a moment, and when she saw him again he had pulled himself away from the Lord Mayor and was hurrying across the soggy lawns towards Cleo House, probably wondering why she hadn't been waiting for him at the quay. She panicked for a moment and wanted to hide, but Dog was with her, and he gave her the strength she needed. She closed the tortoise-shell shutters and waited until she heard Father's feet on the stairs. Father's knock at the door. Kate, came his muffled voice. Kate, are you in there? I want to tell you all my adventures. I am fresh from the snows of shang with all sorts of tales to bore you with. Kate, are you all right? She opened the door just a crack. He stood on the landing outside, dripping with rain, his smile fading as he saw her tearful, sleep-starved face. Kate? It's all right, I'm back. I know, she said, and it's not all right. I wish you'd died in the mountains. What? I know all about you, she told him. I've worked out what you did to Hester Shaw. She let him into the room and shut the door, calling sharply to dog when he ran to greet him. It was dark with the shutters closed, but she saw Father look at the heap of books spilling from the corner table, then at her... There was a freshly dressed wound on his neck, blood on his shirt. She twined a finger in her tangled hair and tried hard not to start crying again. Valentine sat down on the unmade bed. All the way from Gomper, Anna Fang's last promise had been echoing in the corners of his mind. Hester Shaw will find you. To have the same name thrown at him here by Catherine was like a knife in the heart. "'Oh, you needn't worry,' "'said Catherine bitterly. "'No one else knows. "'I learned the girl's name, you see, "'and Dr Arkengarth told me how Pandora Shaw was murdered, "'and I'd already found out that she died seven years ago, "'around the time you got back from that expedition, "'and the Lord Mayor was so pleased with you, "'so I just put it all together and... "'She shrugged. "'The trail had been easy to follow once she had all the clues. "'She picked up a book she had been reading and showed it to him. "'It was Adventures on a Dead Continent.' his own account of his journey to America. She pointed to a face in a group photograph of the expedition, an aviatrix who stood beside him, smiling. I didn't realise at first, she said, because her name had changed. Did you kill her yourself or did you get Pusey and Gensch to do it? Valentine hung his head, angry, despairing, ashamed, A part of Catherine had been hoping against hope that she was wrong, that he would deny it and give her proof that he was not the Shaw's killer. But when she saw his head go down, she knew that he could not, and it was true. He said, ''You must understand, Kate, I did it for you.'' ''For me?'' He looked up at last, but not at her. He stared at the wall near her elbow and said, ''I wanted you to have everything. I wanted you to grow up as a lady.'' Not as an out-country scavenger like I had been. I had to find something that Croome needed. Pandora was an old comrade from the American trip, just as you say. And yes, she was with me when I found the plans and access codes to Medusa. We never imagined it would be possible to reconstruct the thing. Later, Pandora and I went our separate ways. She was an anti-tractionist and she married some clod-hopping farmer and settled down on a place called Oak Island. I didn't know she was still thinking about Medusa. She must have made another trip to America alone this time and found her way into another part of the same old underground complex, a part we'd missed on the first dig. That's where she found a computer brain, said Catherine impatiently, the key to Medusa. Yes, murmured Valentine, astonished at how much she knew. She sent me a letter telling me she had it. She knew it was worthless without the plans and codes, you see, and those were in London, she thought we could sell it and share the proceeds. And I knew that if I could give a Croom p- a prize like that, it would make my fortune and your future would be secure. And so you killed her for it, said Catherine. She wouldn't agree to sell it to Croom, said her father. She was an anti-tractionist, as I said. She wanted the League to have it. I had to kill her, Kate. But what about Hester, said Catherine, numbly, Why did you have to hurt her? I didn't mean to, he said miserably. She must have woken up and heard something. She was a pretty child. She was about your age, and she looked so like you that she might have been your sister. Perhaps she was your sister. Pandora and I were very close at one time. My sister, gasped Catherine. Your own daughter. When I looked up from her mother's body and saw her staring at me, I had to silence her. I struck wildly at her and I made a mess of it. I thought she was dead, but I couldn't bring myself to make sure. She escaped. Vanished in a boat. I thought she must have drowned until she tried to stab me that night in the gut. And Tom, Catherine said, he learned her name and so you had to kill him too. Because if he'd mentioned her to the historians, the truth might have come out. Valentine looked helplessly at her. You don't understand, Kate. If people discovered who she is and what I have done, not even Croom would be able to protect me. I would be finished and you would be dragged down with me. But Croom knows, doesn't he? asked Catherine. That's why you're so loyal. Loyal as a dog, so long as you get paid and get to pretend that foreign daughter of yours is a high London lady. Rain, rain on the windows and the whole room quivering as London dragged itself across the sodden earth. Dog lay with his head on his paws, his eyes darting from his mistress to Valentine and back. He had never seen them fight before and he hated it. "'I used to think you were wonderful,' said Catherine. "'I used to think that you were the best, bravest, wisest person in the world. "'But you're not. You're not even very clever, are you? "'Didn't you realise what Croome would use the thing for?' "'Valentine looked sharply at her. "'Of course I did. This is a towny town world, Kate.' It's a shame Panzerstadt Beiruth had to be destroyed, of course, but the shield wall has to be breached if London is to survive. We need a new hunting ground. But people live there, wailed Catherine. Only anti-tractionists, Kate, and most of them will probably get away. They'll stop us. They've got airships. No. In spite of everything, Valentine smiled, proud of himself. Why do you think Croome sent me east? The League's northern air fleet is in ashes. Tonight, Medusa will blast us a passage through their famous wall. He stood up and reached for her, smiling, as if this victory that he was delivering would put right everything he had done. Croom tells me that firing's scheduled for nine o'clock. There's to be a reception at the Guild Hall beforehand. Wine, nibbles and the dawn of a new era. Will you come with me, Kate? I'd like you to. Her last hope had been that he had not known Croom's mad plan. Now even that was gone. "'You fool!' she screamed. "'Don't you understand that what he's doing is wrong? "'You've got to stop him! "'You've got to get rid of his horrible machine!' "'But that would leave London defenceless, "'in the middle of the hunting ground,' her father pointed out. "'So we will have to carry on as we always have, chasing and eating. "'And if we meet a bigger city and get eaten ourselves, "'well, even that would be better than being murderers!' She couldn't bear to be in that room with him another second. She ran and he did not try to stop her or even call her back, just stood there looking pale and stunned. She left the house and ran sobbing through the rain-swept park with dog at her heels until the whole of high London was between her and father. I must do something, was all she could think. I must stop Medusa. She hurried towards the elevator station while the goggle screen loops began to blare the good news of Valentine's return all over London. Chapter 31 The Eavesdropper London gathered speed, racing towards the mountains. Semi-static towns that had hidden for years on these high steps were startled out of their torpor by its coming and went lumbering away, leaving behind them green patches of farmland and once a whole static suburb. The city paid no heed to any of them. The whole of London knew the Lord Mayor's plan by now. In spite of the cold, people gathered on the forward observation decks and peered through telescopes towards Shangguo, eager for their first glimpse of the legendary wall. Soon, they told each other, this very night, a whole new hunting ground. Most people at the museum were used to Catherine and Dog by now, and nobody paid very much attention as she hastened through the lower galleries with the white wolf trotting behind her. A few noticed the frantic look in her eyes and the tears on her face, but before they could ask her what was wrong or proffer a pocket handkerchief, she had swept past heading towards Mr Nancaro's office at a near run. There she found a smell of turpentine and the lingering scent of the art historian's pipe tobacco, but no Nancaro and no Beavis Pod. She ran back out into the hallway, where a fat third-class apprentice was mopping the floors. Mr Nancaro's in the storerooms, miss, he told her suddenly. He's got that funny new bloke with him. The funny new bloke was helping Mr Nancaro drag a picture out of the storage racks when Catherine burst in. It was a huge, gilt-framed painting called Quirk Overseas the Rebuilding of London by Walmart Strange and when Beavis dropped the end he was holding it made a crash that echoed and re-echoed through the dusty storeroom like a small explosion. I say, pod, complained Nancaro angrily but then he too saw Catherine's face and quickly restrained himself. You look as if you need a nice cup of tea, Miss Valentine, he muttered, hurrying away into the maze of racks. Kate? Beavis Pod took a few uncertain steps towards her. What's happened? He wasn't used to comforting people. It was not the sort of thing an apprentice engineer was trained for. He held his arms out stiffly to touch her shoulders and looked shocked when she flung herself against him. Er... "'He said, there, there. "'Beavis,' she sniffled, "'it's up to us now. "'We have to do something. "'Tonight.' "'Tonight?' he frowned, "'struggling to keep up with her rapid, half-sobbed explanations. "'But do you mean just us alone? "'I thought your father was going to help us.' "'He's not my father any more,' said Catherine bitterly, "'and realised that it was true. "'She clung to Beavis as tightly as she could.' as if he were a raft that could carry her safe across this mire of misery and guilt. "'Father's crooms, man. That's why I've got to get rid of Medusa, do you see? I have to make amends for the things he's done.' Nan Caro came pottering back with two tin mugs of tea. "'Um, oh, ah,' oh, he mumbled, embarrassed at finding his two young friends in one another's arms. "'I mean, uh, yes, uh, uh, paperwork. Mustache. Back in an hour or two. Um, carry on, pod.' As he left, he almost fell over the fat third-class apprentice who had been mopping the passage just outside the storeroom door. For quirk's sake, Melifant, they heard him snap, can't you keep out of the way? But Herbert Melifant could not keep out of the way. Ever since his demotion, he had been looking for a handhold that would help him claw his way back up to first class. This pod person had caught his eye a few days ago this stranger who seemed so friendly with the old guildsman, who went about with the head historian's daughter, who dressed in as apprentice, but who didn't sleep with the others in the dormitory or join them for lessons. He had heard on the goggle screens that the Guild of Engineers were still hunting the people who had infiltrated their secret meeting, and he was starting to suspect that Dr. Van Brace might be very interested in Nan Carrow's little helper. As soon as the old man was out of sight, he put down his mop and pail and stepped back to the door. The Anti-Traction League can't defend themselves, Catherine was saying. That's what Father has been doing, spying out their cities and blowing up their air air fleet. That's why it's up to us. What about the historians? asked Beavis. Catherine shrugged. "'They're too scared to help us. "'But I can do it alone. I know I can. "'Father's invited me to the Lord Mayor's reception. "'I'm going to go. "'I'm going to find Father and tell him I've forgiven him "'and we'll go to Croom's party like a happy little family. "'But while the others are all telling Croom how clever he's been "'and eating sausages on sticks, "'I'll slip away and find Medusa and smash it. "'Do you think a hammer would do the trick? "'I know where Dr Arkengarth keeps the keys to the caretaker's scores. "'There's bound to be a hammer in there or, or a crowbar. "'Would a crowbar be better?' she laughed and saw Beavis flinch at the mad, brittle sound. For a moment she feared that he was about to say something like calm down or it can't possibly work. She touched his face, his blushing ears and felt the quick pulse beating in his throat and the muscles flexing in his as he swallowed. A bomb, he said. What? Medusa must be huge. It probably fills half of St Paul's. If you really want to smash it, You'll need explosives. He looked excited and scared. The cleaning stuff the museum caretakers use had nitrogen in it, and if I mix it with some of Dr nankero's picture-restoring fluids and make a timer... How do you know all this? asked Catherine, shocked, because even she had not thought as far as bombs. Basic chemistry, said Beavis with a shrug. I did a course in the learning labs. Is that all they think about, your lot? she whispered making bombs and blowing things up. No, no, he replied, but science is like that. You can use it to do whatever you want. Kate, if you really want to do this, I'll make you a bomb you can put in a satchel. If you can get to Medusa, leave it near the computer brain and set the timer and run away. Half an hour later, outside, Meliphant's ear flattened itself against the wood of the door like a pale slug faster and faster and faster. It is as if the Lord Mayor's eagerness has infected the very fabric of his city. The pistons in the engine rooms beat as eagerly as his heart, the wheels and tracks race like his thoughts, rushing towards the wall and the next chapter in London's great story. All afternoon, Valentine has hunted for Catherine through the park, startling his friends from their suppers by suddenly looming up at the French windows, a dripping wraith in blood-stained clothes demanding, Is my daughter here? Have you seen her? Now he strides to and fro across the drawing room at Cleo House, his boots dribbling water onto the muddy carpet as he tries to walk the wet cold of the park out of his bones and the fear out of his mind. At last he hears footsteps on the gravel drive. Footsteps in the entrance hall, and Pusey bursts in, looking as wet and miserable as his master. I tracked her down, Chief. She's at the museum. Been spending a lot of time there lately, according to old Kreeber on the front desk. Take me there, shouts Valentine. You sure, Chief? Pusey studies his own feet, rather than look at his master's feverish, tear-stained face. I think it might be better if you let her alone for a bit. She's safe at the museum, ain't she? And I reckon she needs a chance to think things over. She'll come back in her own time. Valentine slumps down in a chair and the old aviator moves quietly around the room, lighting the lamps. Outside, the daylight is fading. I've polished your sword and laid out your best robes in the dressing room, says Pusey, gently. It's the Lord Mayor's reception, sir, remember? Wouldn't do to miss it. Valentine nods, "'staring at his hands, his long fingers. "'Why did I go along with his schemes all these years, Pusey? "'Why did I give him Medusa? "'I couldn't rightly say, sir. "'He stands up with a sigh and heads for the dressing-room. "'He wishes he had Kate's sharpness, "'to know so easily what's right, what's wrong. "'He wishes he had the courage to stand up, "'to Croom the way she wants him to. "'But it is too late for that.' Too late, too late. And Croom himself looks up from his dinner, a puree of vegetables and meat substitute with just the right amount of proteins, carbohydrates, vitamins, etc. Looks up at the shivering apprentice historian, whom Brace has just thrust into his office and says, So, apprentice Mellifant, I gather you have something to tell us. Chapter 32 Chudley Pomeroy sees it through. She found that she could cope. Earlier she had wanted to curl up in a corner and die of grief, but now she was all right. It made her remember the way she had felt when her mother died, flattened by the great numb blow of it, and faintly surprised at the way life kept going on. And at least this time she had dog to help her, and Beavis. Kate, I need another bolt, like this one, but longer. She had come to think of Beavis Pod as a sweet, clumsy, rather useless person, someone who needed her to look after him, and she suspected that that was how the historians all thought of him as well. But that afternoon, she had begun to understand that he was really much cleverer than her. She watched him work, hunched under a portable argon globe in a corner of the transport gallery, carefully measuring out the right amounts of scrubbing powder and picture-cleaning fluid. Now he was building a timing mechanism out of lengths of copper picture wire and parts from the dashboard of a centuries old bug, fitting it all into the satchel she had found for him. A bolt, Kate? Oh, yes. She ratched quickly through the pile of spare parts on the floor beside him and found what he wanted, handed it to him, checked her watch. It was eight o'clock. Soon she would have to go back to Cleo House and fit a smile on her face and say to Father, I'm so sorry I was silly earlier. Welcome home. Please can I come with you to the Lord Mayor's party? There, said Beavis, holding up the satchel. It's done. It doesn't look like a bomb. That's the idea, silly. Look. He opened it up and showed her the package nestling inside, the red button that she had to push to arm it, and the timing mechanism. It won't make a very big bang, he admitted, but if you can get it close enough to the computer brain, I'll find a way she promised taking it from him i'm valentine's daughter if anybody can get to medusa it's me he looked rueful she thought and she wondered if he was thinking of all that wonderful old world computing power an engineer's dream about to be sacrificed i've got to do it she said i know i wish i could come with you though She hugged him, pressing her face against his face, her mouth against his mouth, feeling him shiver as his hands came up nervously to stroke and stroke her hair. Dog gave a soft growl, jealous perhaps, afraid that he was losing Catherine's love and would soon be abandoned, like the poor old soft toys on the shelves in her bedroom. "'Oh, Beavis,' she whispered, pulling back, trembling. "'What's to become of us?' The sound of distant shouting reached them, echoing up the stairwell from the lower floors. It was too faint to make out any words, but they both knew at once that something must be wrong. Nobody ever shouted in the museum. Dog's growl grew louder. He went running to the door and they both followed him, pushing their way quietly out onto the darkened landing. A cool breeze touched their faces as they peered over the handrail and down the long spiral of stairs, dwindling into darkness below, with the bronze handrails gleaming. More shouts, then the bang and clatter of something dropped. Torch beams stabbed a lower landing, and they heard the shouting voice quite clear Chudley Pomeroy's saying, This is an outrage! An outrage! You are trespassing on the property of the Guild of Historians! The engineer security team came up the stairs in a slapping rush of rubber soled boots, torchlights sliding over their coats and their shiny, complicated guns. They slowed as they reached the top and saw Dog's eyes flashing, his ears flattening backwards as he growled and growled and crouched to spring. Guns flicked towards him, and Catherine grabbed him by the collar and shouted, He won't hurt you! He's just frightened! Don't shoot! But they shot him anyway, the guns giving sharp little cracks, and the impact of the bullets wrenching Dog away from her and slamming him back against the wall with a yelp. Then silence, and the whispering sound of the big body falling. In the dancing torchlight, the blood looked black. Catherine gasped for breath. Her arms and legs were shaking with a quick, helpless shudder that she couldn't stop. She could not have moved if she had wanted to. But just in case, a sharp voice barked. Stay where you are, Miss Valentine. Dog, she managed to whine. Stay where you are. The brute is dead. Dr. Van Brace came up the stairs through the thin, shifting smoke. "'You too, Pod,' he added, seeing the boy make a twitching move towards the body. He stood on the top step and smiled at them. "'We've been looking everywhere for you, Apprentice. "'I hope you're ashamed of yourself. Give me that satchel.' Beavis held it out, and the tall engineer snatched it from him and opened it. "'Just as Meliphant warned us. A bomb!' Two of his men stepped forward and hauled the prisoners after him "'as he turned and started down the stairs. "'No!' wailed Catherine, struggling to keep hold of Beavis's hand "'as they were dragged apart. "'No!' "'Her voice bounced shrilly back at her from the ceiling "'and went echoing away down the stairwell, "'and she thought it sounded frail and helpless, "'like a child having a tantrum, "'a child caught playing some stupid naughty trick "'and protesting at its punishment. "'She kicked at the shins of the man who held her.' "'but he was a big man and booted and didn't even wince. "'Where are you taking us?' "'You are coming with me to top tier, Miss Valentine,' said Van Brace. "'You will be quite the talking point of the Lord Mayor's little party. "'As for your sweetheart here, he'll be taken to the deep gut.' "'He grinned at the little noise Beavis made, "'a helpless, gulped-back squeak of fear. "'Oh, yes, Apprentice Pod,' Some very interesting experience awaits you in the deep gut. It wasn't his fault, Catherine protested. She could feel things unravelling, her foolish plan running out of control and lashing backwards to entrap her and Beavis and poor dog. I made him help me, she shrieked. It's nothing to do with Beavis. But Van Brace had already turned away and her captor clamped a chemical-tasting hand across her mouth to stop her noise. Valentine's bug pulls up outside the guild hall, where the bugs of most of the guild heads are already parked. Gench gets out and holds the lid open for his master, then fusses over him like a mother sending her child off to school, brushing his hair off his face, buffing the hilt of his sword. Valentine looks absently up at the sky. High feathery cloud, lit by the fast-sinking sun. The wind is still blown from the east, and it brings a smell of snow that cuts through his thoughts of Catherine for a moment, making him think again of Shangguo. "'Hester, sure, will find you,' the windflower had whispered, dying. "'But how could she have known about Hester? "'She could not have met the girl, could she? Could she? Is Hester still alive? "'Has she made her way somehow to Gompa? "'And is she waiting in those mountains now, ready to climb back aboard London and try again to kill him?' Or worse, to harm his daughter? Pushing Gench's big hands away, he says, "'If you don't mind missing the party, boys, "'it might be worth taking the 13th-floor elevator up for a spin tonight. "'Just in case those poor, brave fools from the League try anything.' "'Right you are, Chief.' "'The two old airmen have not been looking forward to the Lord Mayor's reception, all that finger food and posh chat. "'Nothing could cheer them up better than the prospect of a good fight.' Gench climbs in next to Pusey and the bug fears away, startling engineers and beefeaters out of its path. Valentine straightens his, his own tie and walks quickly up the steps into the guild hall. The engineers marched their prisoners through the lower galleries of the museum to the main hall. There was nobody about. Catherine had never seen the museum as empty as this. Where were the historians? She knew they couldn't help her, but she wanted to see them, to know that somebody knew what had become of her. She kept listening for the pattering feet of dog on the floor behind her and being surprised when she couldn't hear them, and then remembering. Beavis was marching next to her, but he wouldn't look at her, just stared straight ahead as if he could already see the chambers of the deep gut and the things that would happen to him there. Then, at the top of the steps that led down to the main entrance, the engineers halted. Down in the foyer, their backs to the big glass doors... The historians were waiting. While Van Brace's men were busy upstairs, they had raided the display cases in the weapons and warfare gallery, arming themselves with ancient pikes and muskets, rusty swords and tin helmets. Some had strapped breastplates over their black robes and others carried shields. They looked like a chorus of brigands in an amateur pantomime. "'What is the meaning of this?' barked Dr Van Brace. Shudley Pomeroy stepped forward holding a blunderbuss with a brass muzzle as broad as a tubers. Catherine started to realise that other historians were watching from the shadows at the edges of the hall, lurking behind display cases, pointing steam-powered rifles through the articulated ribs of dinosaurs. "'Gentlemen,' said Pomeroy nervously, "'you are on the property of the Guild of Historians. "'I suggest that you unhand those young people immediately.' Immediately, agreed Dr. Karuna, training her dusty musket on the red wheel between Van Brace's eyebrows. The engineer began to laugh. You old fools! Do you think you can defy us? Your guild will be disbanded because of what you've done here today. Your silly trifles and trinkets will be fed to the furnaces, and your bodies will be broken on engines of pain in the deep gut. We'll make you history, since history is all you care about. We are the Guild of Engineers. We are the future. There is a heartbeat pause, near silent, just the echo of Brace's voice hanging on the musty air and the faint sounds of men reaching for guns and arthritic fingers tightening on ancient triggers. Then the foyer vanishes into smoke and stabbing darts of fire and the noise bounces from the high-domed roof and comes slamming down again, a ragged crackle split by the deep boom of Pomeroy's blunderbuss and the shrieking roar of an old cannon concealed in a niche behind the ticket office, which goes off with a great jet of flame as Dr Nancaro sets his lighter to the touch hole. Catherine sees Van Brace and the two men next to him to aside, sees Dr Arkengarth falling backwards with his arms windmilling, feels the man who holds her jerk and stumble, and the thick slap as a musket ball goes through his rubber coat. He falls away from her, and she drops to her knees and wonders where to hide. Nothing remains of Van Brace but his smouldering boots, which would be cartoony and almost funny, except that his feet are still inside them. Half his men are down, but the rest are rallying, and they have better weapons than the historians. They spray the foyer with gunfire, striking sparks from the marble floor and flinging splinters of dinosaur bone high into the air. Display cases come apart in bright cataracts of powdered glass, and the historians, who are cowering behind them, go scrambling back to other hiding places, or fall among the fallen exhibits and lie still. Above them, argon globes smash and gutter until the hall is dark, stuttering like cine film in the migraine flicker of gunlight, and the engineers are pushing forward through it towards the doors. Behind them, forgotten, Beavis Pod reaches for an abandoned gun and swings it up, his long hands feeling their way across the shiny metal for catches and triggers. Catherine watches him. The air around her is thick with wailing shot and whirling chips of marble and moaning battle frisbees, but she cannot tear her eyes or her mind away from Beavis long enough to think about finding cover. She sees him unfold the gun's spindly armrest and wedge it into the crook of his elbow and sees the small blue holes it makes in the backs of the engineer's coats. They fling up their arms and drop their guns and spin about and fall, and Beavis Pod watches them through the bucking sights with a calm, serious look. Not her gentle Beavis anymore, but someone who can kill quite coldly as if the engineer in him really does have no regard for human life, or maybe he has just seen so much death in the deep gut that he thinks it is a little thing and does not mind dealing it out. And when he stops shooting, it is very quiet, just the rubbery lisp of the corpse's settling and a quick, bony rattle that Catherine slowly recognises as the sound of her own teeth chattering. From the corners of the hall, historians came creeping, there were more of them than Catherine had feared. In the flicker of battle, she had thought she saw all of them shot, but although some were wounded, the only ones dead were a man called Weymouth, who she had never spoken to, and Dr Arkengarth. The old curator of ceramics lay near the door, looking indignant, as if death was a silly modern fad that he rather disapproved of. Beaver's pod knelt, staring at the gun in his hands, and his hands were shaking, and blue smoke unravelled from the mouth of the gun and drifted up in scrolls and curlicues towards the roof. Pomeroy came stumping up the stairs. His wig had been blown off, and he was nursing a wound on his arm where a splinter of bone had cut him. Look at that, he said. I must be the first person to be harmed by a dinosaur for about 70 million years. He blinked at Catherine and Beavis, then at the fallen engineers. None of them were laughing at his little joke. Well, he said... Well, hey, gosh, we showed them. As soon as I told the others what was going on, we all agreed it wouldn't do. Well, most of us did. The rest are locked in the canteen, along with any apprentices we thought might support groom's men. You should have seen us, Kate. We won't let them take Miss Valentine, we all said, and we didn't. It goes to show, you know, an engineer is no match for a historian with his dander up. Or her dander, CP, chirped Moira Plym, hurrying up the steps to stand beside him. Oh, that'll teach them to fiddle with my furniture all right. That'll show them what happens to. The visor of the helmet she was wearing snapped shut, muffling the rest. Catherine found the fallen satchel lying in the muck and blood on the stairs. It seemed to be undamaged except for some unpleasant stains. I've got to go to top tier. Stop Medusa. It's the only way. I'll go to the elevator station and. No! Clytie Potts came bounding up the steps from the front entrance. "'A couple of engineers who were stationed outside got away,' she said. "'They'll have raised the alarm. "'There'll be a guard on the elevators "'and more security men here at any minute. "'Stalkers, too, probably.' "'She met Pomeroy's worried gaze "'and dipped her head as if it were all her fault. "'Sorry, CP.' "'That's all right, Miss Potts.' "'Pomeroy slapped her kindly on the shoulder, "'almost knocking her over. "'Don't worry, Catherine. "'We'll keep the devils busy here "'and you can sneak up to top tier by the cat's creep.' "'What's that?' asked Catherine. "'It's the sort of thing historians know about "'and everybody else has forgotten,' said Pomeroy, beaming. "'An old stairway left over from the first days of London "'when the elevator system couldn't always be relied on. "'It goes up from tier three to top tier, "'passing through the museum on the way. "'Are you ready to travel?' "'She wasn't, but she nodded. "'I'm going with her,' said Beavis. "'No!' It's all right, Kate, I want to. He was turning dead engineers over, looking for a coat without too many holes in. When he found one, he began to fumble with the rubber buttons. If the engineers see you walking about alone up there, they'll guess what happened, he explained. But if I'm with you, they'll think you're a prisoner. He's right, Kate, said Pomeroy, nodding, as Clytie Potts helped the young engineer into his coat and wiped away the worst of the blood with the hem of her robe. He checked his watch. 8.30. Medusa goes off at nine, according to the goggle screens. That should give you plenty of time to do whatever you're planning to do. But we'd better start you on your way before those engineers get back with reinforcements. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio.